For those of you who are joining us, we've been doing a preaching series, so I just want to quick recap that so we're all kind of caught up or just a little of repetition because sometimes I need things repeated to me so I can remember to do them. So the first week of Advent, we looked at creation and the God who created the billions of galaxies, the God who created the trillions of stars, knows all of them by name. He knows all the planets. He knows every single grain of sand by name. But there's one creature he desired to be in relationship with, and it's you. And he knows you all by name. And he created everything effortlessly. He spoke, and creation happened. And he can handle our anxieties. We looked at 1 Peter 5, 9, where Peter says, Cast all your anxieties upon him, for he cares about you. And we asked that question of why is there something instead of nothing? Which is a really good question for those who struggle with the existence of God. And last week we looked at the question of, well, what the heck happened? Why is everything all screwed up? We talked about the devil and hell and his plan for destruction for your life how he actually wants to enslave you and torment you and tell you those awful lies that you are not good. You cannot trust God and you are unlovable. And there's many more. You're dumb. You're ugly. You should stop trying They'll never change. You'll never change. You know how the list goes on and on. And the image I wanted you to pray with heading into this week was the image of a human trafficker. That is who the devil is. He wants to enslave us. And I'd like to begin with an image. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in a dark room. Hands and feet bound by rope. You are helpless and absolutely terrified. You want to sleep, but sleep is dangerous because it makes you even more vulnerable. So there's no rest. Suddenly you feel a hand on your shoulder and you actually jolt. Because right now touch means harm. But when you open your eyes... You see the face of a man who instantly puts you at peace. How did he get in this room? His face is warm and gentle, but there's something even more than gentleness about him. He exudes utter strength and confidence, and just the sight of this man gives you a sense of security And even a belief for a long time that this nightmare can end. The man unties your hands. He unties your feet. He helps you up, brushes the dust off your shoulders, and he's just looking at you, calming you, and filling you with unspeakable hope. He walks towards the locked door, outside of which 
your captor lurks. Conflicting emotions fight within. You fear the man who is outside, but you're exhilarated at the first prospect for a long time that you might be able to escape his hands. And as the man begins to turn the doorknob, you realize how much dread that you don't want to witness in this confrontation between this gentleman and the fiend who is outside. But as you leave this room, it becomes clear that the confrontation has already taken place. The trafficker is on the floor, hands and feet bound, mouth gagged, covered with duct tape. He can't touch you anymore. As you step around the one who terrorizes you, the man who bound you, your tormentor, turns to you with a smile. And he has no power over you. And the gentleman looks at you intently and he says, he can't harm you anymore. I have overcome him. I have sought you out personally to rescue you from his grip. Do not be afraid anymore. Question. Why did God send his only son? Why did God become man in Jesus? I don't think a lot of us have a clue. We look to scripture to tell us. In 1 John 3.8, it says, God sent his only son to go to war with sin and death and destroy his evil tactics. We even hear in our first reading today in Isaiah 61 and 62, which is fulfilled in Luke 4, when Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I have come to set captives free to give sight to the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty. I don't think a lot of us know that Jesus. So what I'd like to do right now is just to pray for a moment. And we want to pray for the grace this week of having unshakable confidence. Because this message, my friends, is for all of us even those of you who rarely ever come to church. Or maybe you're thinking, this is my last shot. So I'd like to pray for a moment. So please join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit fall upon me to give me words that will move hearts today, and to fall upon every single person who is in this church, and to give us the grace of unshakable confidence. And I ask for the grace to lift up Jesus Christ crucified as the greatest sign of hope the world has ever known. Please remove all distractions, all darkness from this place, Lord Jesus, so that we may know that you are the one who has come to rescue us from the hands and snares of the devil. Make all these prayers in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
So I'd like, like to give you two images. The first image is of D-Day. So for those of you who don't know that, that's from World War II. And D-Day is when the American allies landed on the beach of Normandy. And if you saw a picture of that, maybe you've seen pictures of that, and someone said, why are the American troops landing? It's pretty clear they're there to fight. And when the people of Europe saw that headline, the Allies have landed, there was so much hope from this Nazi dictator in Germany who had been harassing them and killing their families left and right and enslaving them in concentration camps. I think everybody knew that when the troops landed, they were there to fight. The other image I want to give you is an image of the Holy Family. That is an image of the Christ child, just born, and Mary and Joseph. If somebody asked you, why are they there, how would you answer? They're there to fight. I don't think a lot of us know that. I was never presented that gospel, that Jesus growing up. The Jesus I was brought up with was he's kind, he's, he's compassionate, he's kind of like Big Bird, right? He's a puffy cloud. He doesn't really affect your life. So I didn't change. When Jesus is presented as cute, at a certain point in your life and my life, we stop caring. Cuteness does not lead to conversions. Warriors lead to conversions. When you and I know that if we were the only person on earth that Jesus Christ would have went to war with the devil to win you and me back, when we know that he desires to personally set you free from your bondage, your addictions to pornography, alcoholism, social media, technology, when you realize that he desires to come into that dark room and bind up the strong man who is Satan, and, if you were, and he would have done that just for you, when you realize that, when it sinks from your head to your heart, and Jesus is no longer cute, but he's moved to warrior, that moves mountains. And I think a lot of us have been brought up with the big bird, Jesus. And you've heard it before, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save the world, not to condemn it, but to set it free so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. And the image of God is love that works for some people. But not everyone. And if it works for you, I'm not judging you, okay? So please hear what I'm saying. The second image that's often given for Jesus is the image of making atonement for our sins. And we often use a lot of words in church like salvation, paschal mystery, grace, mercy, and we don't know what these words mean. So I want to talk about the word atonement real quickly. Atonement is often used in the courtroom image of God. At the end of your life, you've died, and you're in the courtroom, and Jesus is in the robes, and you have clearly unconfessed sins. You've denied him over and over and over. You didn't trust him. You didn't repent. You had so many opportunities to change your life, but you didn't. And he says, you are guilty. And your life sentence is hell forever in the hands of the human trafficker. But instead of you going to hell, 
Jesus, the just judge, takes his robes off. And he says, I will pay the penalty for you, so you are free to go. For some people, that image works. But some people get tired of sinning over and over and saying, he paid it all, he paid it all, which is true. But the image that I would argue is the most impactful is Jesus as warrior who came to go to sin, go to war with sin and death. Ask every man in here, girls, what is your favorite movie? They're not going to say Bambi. They're not going to say a, they're not going to say a rom-com. They're going to talk about a fighting movie. Top five, right? It's going to be something about boxing or it's going to be about Braveheart or it's going to be about war where people lay their lives down for others, a lot of people are moved by that sacrificial love. Very moved by that sacrificial love. And we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus come? So when Christmas Day happens, we know how big of a deal that is. We are actually moved. And if we know that Jesus has come personally for us to bind up the human trafficker and to set you free, that's a game changer. And Jesus, when he comes, he comes with power that the devil cannot touch. And a lot of us don't think Jesus is powerful because we've been presented with Big Bird. And it doesn't allow us to live in the victory, freed from the snares and traps of the devil. And for some reason, a lot of us have made Jesus boring. And I will fight to the day I die to anyone who wants to call my God, Jesus Christ, boring. Dr. Peter Kreeft, who is a professor at Boston College, often says that we have made Jesus so boring. It's like going to the wedding feast at Cana, where he had his first miracle. But what you and I have done, and we've allowed the world to do, is to change wine back into water. And we can't allow it to happen, my friends. We can't water it on the faith. And for those of you who don't know why Jesus came, I want to present to you a prayer that priests will say every day because they pray a book called The Breviary. They make promises to the bishop to pray for you every day. And so do deacons. And lay people can pray them too. We pray them at the Newman Center when we pray morning prayer. If we were wondering why Jesus came, here it is. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, first chapter. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has come to set his people free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of the servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. And he's not talking about people. He's not talking about a political party. He's not talking about people who are a different color than you or from a different nation than you. He's talking about the devil. And it says he promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant so that you and I may be free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear. So Jesus has come to set you free. And who are our enemies? Our enemies are sin, death, hell, 
and Satan. And the scriptures are saturated with the image of God as warrior. We read in Wisdom 18, While gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone, your all-powerful word leapt from heaven from the royal throne into the midst of a land doomed, a stern warrior. So Jesus came to fight. And one of the most recent images that's been given to me as Jesus, and I want to ask you a question, is, is when you look at the cross, so please look at the cross as I speak here for a second. On the cross, does this look like a warrior? Is Jesus on the cross the hunter or the hunted? Is Jesus on the cross the hunter or the hunted? For those of you who don't know about crucifixion, please go watch The Passion by Mel Gibson, and you'll see how awful it is. But it's meant to embarrass you publicly. So Jesus is in the garden, abandoned by all his friends. The intensity of what he's about to do is so great that he actually sweats blood. And then a cohort of 600 Roman soldiers comes to take him down, and they bind him in chains. And he's actually willing it. Jesus is whipped and scourged. A crown is placed on his head to be humiliated and mocked, and he's slapped in the face. Our God is slapped in the face, and he's willing it. And he carries a cross on his shoulders, and people are tripping him. Come on, king. Come on, king. Get up. And they spit on him and push him down. And he's willing it. And he's nailed to a cross because he's baiting the devil. Jesus is playing what we call ambush predator. If you don't know what an ambush predator is, is it's an animal that lays still and looks like it's dead until you get close enough where it can pounce on you. And Jesus is doing that to the devil. And a lot of our church fathers, who are the theologians, priests, bishops, for the first eight centuries, often talked about God as a warrior because it was the most compelling. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he wasn't saying, oh, I'm going to go take a nap for three days. He wasn't doing that. He was telling the devil, your rule, your reign is finished. And the devil screamed, especially if you've seen that in the Passion, the devil screams. Church fathers often talked about Jesus baiting the devil. Maximus the Confessor says this about Jesus. He says, His flesh was set before that ferocious, gaping dragon as bait to provoke him. Flesh that would be deadly for the dragon, for it would utterly destroy him by the power of the Godhead hidden within it. For human nature, however, his flesh was to be the remedy since the power of the Godhead in it 
would restore human nature to its original grace. That means that Jesus wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you. He wants to unbind you so that you can be free. And a lot of people think that they're free, but they're not, because when you tell them to stop doing something, they can't stop. And the question is, whose power are you under? In life, my friends, you are either under the power of the devil, under his hand, his dominion, all his angels, or you are under the power of Jesus Christ, the Blessed Mother, the saints, and the Catholic Church. It's very black and white. And if you have been set free, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're enslaved, this homily is most likely specifically meant for you. To know this warrior God personally, but he is compassionate, he's respectful, and he needs permission to come in and clean house. So I'd like to close in prayer and to invite him in. Because if you and I know what Jesus has done for us, it would be like, I gotta thank him, and I gotta tell him sorry, and I gotta ask for him to show me where I'm blind. And i got to ask to remain free and somehow help other people know that they are called to be set free too. So you and I are rescued in order to rescue others. And for some reason, a lot of us are not responding and doing that. And that's what our homily will leap into next week, making a full response. But we have to ask them to come in, into that dark room, of your soul and my soul, and to ask him to set us free. So I'm going to say a prayer from my heart, and I'm just going to ask you to echo it in your heart. You don't have to speak it out loud. So if you would please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to go to war with sin and death to set me free so that I may know that I am good, I am beautiful, I am worth dying for. I am sorry for my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. Please help me trust you and I invite you in right now to unbind me, to remove the chains that tell me I'm not good enough, that tell me I can't trust you, that tell me that I'm not worth dying for, that tell me that I'm not a beloved son or daughter of the Father. Please give me the grace to move forward with your son Jesus this week and the rest of my life. And give me, Lord Jesus, unshakable confidence in knowing that I am who you say I am, a beloved son and a beloved daughter, that I am good and that I can trust you. I make this prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen.